When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. He's breaking it down so you don't have to. This is Breaking It Down with Frank McKay on 1071 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. I'd like to welcome everyone to Breaking It Down. Frank McKay here, so much more importantly, a wonderful songwriter, musician, and performer, and everything else. Bruce Woolley is our very special guest, and you know his work from the Radio Science Orchestra. Actually, if you go to radiosciencesorchestra.com, you can kind of keep up with the latest, and there's all kinds of great stuff there. But you certainly know his work from The Buggles, the first song ever, and we just passed a 38-year anniversary of MTV, but the first song ever on MTV was Video Killed the Radio Star. Without this man, that song doesn't exist. And wow, I mean, what an honor it must be to be the first song to appear on MTV. I don't know if it means much to him, but I think to the rest of us, it kind of stands out as that trivia question all over the world. Bruce Woolley, how are you? I'm very well, Frank, and thanks for the fantastic build-up. I hope that um, I can live up to your expectations and that... Uh, I won't disappoint. Well, listen, you always live up to the expectations. You've been putting out great music for years. But address that if you don't mind. You know, you're a trivia question. I mean, you're the answer to a trivia question. Anytime MTV comes up, you'll hear this. I'm pretty sure Trivia Pursuit has that question in there. You know, what was the first ever song on MTV? And it's Video Killed the Radio Star. Does it kind of just pass you by? Or do you ever sit and reflect (laughs) that this is a big deal? Well, you know, it's always it's uh, um, these things always come with a price, don't they? You know, when you're the first to do something like that, um, people tend to remember it forever and often overlook all the other things that you've done. And I'm often saying to people, yes, but actually, you know, I, I did actually write this song, this other song over here that you might like to listen. <laughs> so, uh, and but of course. I'm very grateful for it as well because, you know, it's enabled me to to, to continue to uh, do music, which is what I love doing. And, um, you know, that's what I consider music to be my job, really. And uh, I still do. still have to earn a living. um, But, you know, I do it through music. And that's what I love doing. And so I'd encourage anyone that feels of a strong vocation um, to go and pursue what they really love doing um, to do to do that because it's, it can be very rewarding, I think. Um, so yeah, I'm grateful for that. Um, actually, it's not the only trivial pers- pursuit question, by the way, Frank. There's yeah. another one, which was um, who played keyboards in Bruce Woolley and the Camera Club, and the answer to that is Thomas Dolby. So yeah. some of your yeah. audience may indeed know that name as well. Um, and uh, so it's, we've actually got two questions in Trivial Pursuit. So I guess that's, 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 that's a bonus. Yeah, well, you're not kidding. I was going to bring up Thomas Dolby in a little bit. I've had him on the show a couple of times. And, okay, and, yeah. and we've discussed that in the camera club. And that's another <laughs> bit of your history. If you don't mind, let's do a little bit of your history. And let's start from the beginning. Where were you born and where were you raised? 
Well, I, I was born in the Midlands in England, which is which is sort of uh, 120 miles above London. So it, effectively, the provinces. Um, it was a very industrial setting back in the 1950s. Everything was in black and white. Um, pretty kind of drab post-war uh, Britain, really. And then I think what started to happen was in the 1960s, it started to turn into colour. And my father kind of brought in Sergeant Pepper's uh, Lonely Hearts Club band into the house. And um, uh, there was a kind of something was opening up, a bit of a portal and then I think the real turning point for me was in 1969, which is a hugely significant year. I've sub sub subsequently come to realize when um, I heard Led Zeppelin II, and that's what really turned me on to guitar and music uh, and, and thinking it's possible to make a living out of music, or at least this is something I would really like to pursue. So I grew up in a quite a repressive uh, uh, kind of atmosphere in some ways although well, my, my dad was was a musician um he frowned upon led zeppelin very much it was he he disregarded it really even though it was based on blues which he had a great appreciation for so i had to fight against uh the system if you like sounds a bit of a cliche yeah. and the school that i was at was also extremely conservative so the idea that you'd play electric guitar was 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 really not on um, and to cut a long story short, I sort of made it down to London, and that's when things started to happen. Well, let me remind folks that are just tuning in or maybe just turning on their radio, you have Bruce Woolley here with us, and he's the voice you're hearing. He's a singer, songwriter, producer, and again, you know his work from Radio Science, and if you go to radiosciencorchestra.com, you can see all about the Radio Science Orchestra, and there's all types of information there. You can kind of follow along and wait for the next release to come out. Just a great bit of music that he's put out over the years. The Buggles, and by the way, video killed the radio star. I hate to keep bringing that up to him because it sounds like the one thing, but it's a huge deal. Uh, the Camera Club, he wrote uh, songs for Grace Jones, recorded and had success with. But Bruce Woolley is here with me, Frank McKay thrilled to have him going back to those days and you, you mentioned sergeant peppers as mm. being a big pivot point for you i wouldn't think that someone who would bring into the house sergeant pepper would be so down on zeppelin i mean was it because they were heavier or was it the guitar was more distorted was it plant style of singing what was it about zeppelin that your father opposed well i think um just redialing back a, a few years he played at the cavern my dad and he played traditional jazz and um he saw the beatles when they were playing at the cavern in liverpool and they they weren't very good actually in those days they were a bit ropey and people used to say what is this is kind of like noise music you know yeah. but then as the beatles progressed he began to appreciate what they could really do and the one thing that he he loved was chord sequences and he was always a great um, fan of music with chord sequences in them so uh, in it so um i think his if you like um his reservations about zeppelin one yes it was quite loud and distorted uh, again another kind of noise music to upset a generation but the fact is that the songs um let's say whole lot of love for example the absolute pivotal number I think it's based on just like one chord, you know, I mean, it, it yeah. doesn't really go much from that kind of E, guitar E riff. It's a riff. And um, I think he kind of resented that, that they were having 
huge success and perhaps they also had very long hair. They looked unsightly, I think, in his eyes, even though he'd started to, to kind of get quite hip in a funny way. He, uh, I don't know if I can say this on air, but he became a Scientologist yeah. and uh, started wearing sci- sort of safari jackets, you know, and yeah. <laughs> medallions, a kind of like Timothy Leary look, I suppose. But he really didn't like the, the kind of the, the image or the music of Zeppelin. Um, for those reasons, and it's in a way, it's slightly hypocritical. I sort of used to argue with him about this because he he played me um, Muddy Waters' uh, Manish Boy, which is a classic track, and it's only got one chord in it. So it's like, well, hang on, you're saying this is great, but yet you're slagging off a whole lot of love, yeah. you know. So there were a few double standards going on there, but uh, this is father and son, isn't it, really? You know? Yeah, well, listen. Yeah, no question. I didn't mean to cut you off there, but here in America, and again, I'm 52, so I was born when Sergeant Pepper was born. You're it, a youngster, right? Yeah, I guess so, right? I'm a 52-year-old <laughs> kid. But everyone that I interview, you know, all over America, musicians, <clears throat> you know, all these famous guys who've had great success, like you've had success, all of these folks point to the Ed Sullivan appearance of the Beatles. And again, this is America. When, mm. You know, that's when you know, music started for them, or that's when life started for them. And you know how many people point to that? I mean, it's like the moon landing, and, you know, we spoke about that a little bit off mic, but, you know, the Ed Sullivan appearance of the Beatles, the first one, was so monumental here in America, and it just kicked off everything and got everyone going. What was it for you there? And actually, before you answer, let me remind everyone to go to radiosciencesorchestra.com and check out Bruce Woolley. And again, Video Killed the Radio Stars. Trivial Pursuit answer, and it should be, it was the first song ever on MTV, was celebrating the recent anniversary of MTV. And by the way, that's when they did music, you know, MTV and not whatever they're doing now. But Bruce Woolley is the co-writer of that song and so much more. The Camera Club also with Thomas Dolby and just a tremendous career that he's still having. But going back to what I was saying here, the Ed Sullivan show was this pivot point, this moon landing moment. What was it in Great Britain or what was it in the UK that you could point to, or at least for you, that got you kind of struck in the face and said, wow, you know, music, this is what it's all about. I mean, was it Sgt. Pepper or was it before that? Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. He's breaking it down so you don't have to. This is Breaking It Down with Frank McKay on 1071 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. Well, I think the, the, the Beatles have to uh, take a great credit um, because... They had a huge impact in America, kind of like almost like overnight success, I think, because they suddenly appeared. Uh, whereas they'd been going, they'd been going for some time in England, and we were becoming aware of them on the television. And I remember seeing them 
for the first time on television thinking, well, who are these guys? You know, first of all, I could barely understand what they were saying because they all sounded the same. They had these thick um, northern accents. And the other thing was I couldn't tell the difference between them all. They all looked the same um, because of their hair. And, and this, made, this was a huge, uh, made a huge impression sociologically, I think. Um, Brian Epstein gets a lot of stick for um, people claiming that he forced them to wear suits and that, <clears throat> that you know, he kind of manipulated them like a kind of boy band. The, the truth of the matter is that they were all wearing leather and they looked like teddy boys. Uh, and he said, look, if you if you go to a record label dressed like this, they won't sign you. You know, you look too frightening. He said, why don't you smarten up your act? And they, it was their idea to get a tailor and go and see a tailor and get their gear, get the clothes that they wanted to wear that they thought would look good. Um, and so they had this kind of unified image, uh, which was extraordinary for the time. And um, so they were making a big impact in the media. And I remember, well, I loved the Beatles, as so many people did, and followed their evolution. Sergeant Pepper was a kind of pinnacle of psychedelia. Um, but the <clears throat> the thing that really turned it round for me, as I said earlier, was actually listening to Whole Lot of Love round. It was round at a friend's house. It was the first time I'd heard stereo, and we listened to Whole Lot of Love and heard these drums sort of and these sounds panning from left to right speaker. Uh, his parents were out of the house at the time, so we turned it up really loud, you know, and I was like, oh, my God, this is incredible. And, of course, I didn't realize until subsequently that Jimmy Page was playing a theremin, a single antenna theremin, um, with his guitar by way for putting the guitar near this single antenna. And the sound on A Whole Lot of Love is kind of so ethereal, and so unlike anything I'd ever heard before. So that that was probably that big pivotal moment, having been brought up with the Beatles. Do you remember the first person you ran into early on in life that was making a living with this? That's a very good question. I never really thought about that. Um, I, I think when you say make a living in those days, we had what were known as working men's clubs. There's still a few dotted around the country. And... Um, the, the the sort of way to earn a living through music was to play in a covers band, which I guess you 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 know are worldwide. It's a kind of uh, it's a thing. And I, uh, I I I was at college and um, university, and I um, met a guitar player there who introduced me to somebody who had actually got a gig in one of these dance halls, which were called Mecca dance halls, and they had live music, and it was actually a professional. Uh, music job you had to learn three pop songs every week and i managed to wangle my way into a into a, a band in leicester by pretending to be able to read music um which you had to do in those days as well and, I, and sadly i got caught out at the end of the day but the the they got me into earning a living through music so playing in the evenings and earning enough to to live on um which was revolutionary for me because meant I could um, write songs during the day. So it was this, I actually owe this all to a guy called Rod Thompson, who's now a property developer and a great friend of uh, Trevor Horn, with whom I've worked a lot over the years and saw play the other night, actually. And th th that was the first person I probably met who, who was actually 
we, you would call him a professional musician. And it had a big impact on me. Yeah, interesting. Bruce Woolley is the voice that you're hearing. I want to remind everyone once again, radiosciencorchestra.com is a great spot to go and kind of get the lowdown on what they're doing and what Bruce is doing. But you know his work from so many other places. Grace Jones had a great, great song written by Bruce Woolley and actually so many other people. I'm just singling out things now. But again, talking about the Buggles and Video Killed the Radio Star, which launched MTV, and again, young folks listening to this might think, like, oh, big deal, MTV, because it's all reality and it just kind of molds into everything else. But on August 1st, <laughs> 1981, I mean, it was revolutionary what happened and it really changed the world when it came. And, and actually, their intro was a picture of Neil Armstrong stepping on the moon and, and all of that. And it was a big deal. And then your song came on, Video Killed the Radio Star, and that kind of launched everything and it changed a generation of music lovers into TV watchers and all of a sudden things changed dramatically and the music business changed. Frank McKay here with Bruce Woolley. You know, you've had a really wonderful career there, but what did that do for your career? Here in America, once again, it was huge. It wasn't, you know, the Beatles on Ed Sullivan, but it was, you know, the next closest thing. Certainly in my generation, it was the biggest thing. What did it do to your career over in England? Um, well, it, 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 it initially it, it sort of went somewhat unmarked because we didn't have MTV in England. I remember reading about it and somebody is saying someone's come up with this great idea to combine um, what teenagers love doing is they love watching television and they love listening to rock music. And somebody came up with the bright idea of combining the two together to, to make MTV. Uh, I think actually Mike Nesmith from the Monkees had something to do with it uh, originally as well, um, and and so but we couldn't we couldn't see it so um, it didn't didn't arrive in England till a little bit later a couple of years later in fact so um, the impact I think at the time it was okay this is happening but it was very remote you know we didn't experience it like you did and. Um, Funnily enough, I don't think the song Video Killed Radio Star was a hit in America. It was a huge hit in, in Europe. In fact, this year is the 40th anniversary of, of that uh, record coming out for the first time. So it, what, what we've experienced and what I could never predict in the, in, when I started out as a penniless songwriter was this thing called the long tail, which is where things become more significant with time and you start to realize the impact that something might have had, uh, but only later on, only in retrospect. It's different now with the internet because everything is available all at once. People can get feedback and you can see how well something's doing. But in those days, you couldn't really do that. So I think that's, um, you know, this is all happening with hindsight, basically. Yeah, it's fascinating. And again, Bruce Woolley is our very special guest. A reminder, and, and 40 years since the song was released, a little less than that on MTV, but it was an appropriate song to, to put out there. Bruce Woolley, once again, you can find out more about him at radiosciencorchestra.com. Frank McKay here with Bruce Woolley from The Buggles and from the Radio Science Orchestra and the Camera Club. And, of course, he played with Thomas Dolby there, who we've had on the show several times. And for those of you who may have walked away, let me remind everyone we recently had a an anniversary of MTV launching uh, 1981 
August 1st, 1981, it launched and it changed the music business forever. You know, and much in the same way that Napster, you know, in a negative way, obviously it changed it. Well, depending on your perspective, I guess, but from my perspective, it hurt the musicians and the songwriters tremendously with Napster and everybody being able to pirate music for nothing. That was another one of those moments in history that seriously changed the music business. And, you know, and I point to the three significant moments, Napster being one of them, uh, MTV being one of them, of course, the Beatles on Ed Sullivan here in America. But a big part of the history is our very special guest today. And if you walked away, I want to welcome everyone back to Breaking It Down. And Bruce Woolley is a wonderful singer, songwriter, musician, and again, you know, his work from the Buggles video killed the radio star and, you know, work with Grace Jones and the Radio Science Orchestra and go to radiosciencesorchestra.com once again and check out what they're doing. Just wonderful work, wonderfully talented, creative man here, Bruce Woolley. Well, listen, it was like a little step away. So welcome back, Bruce. Going off of what we're talking there, I mean, this is a, you know, you are part of history. You're a serious part of history here. And it just blows me away that, well, first of all, you know, you've got modesty there, but you also have a different perspective than what went on here in America. There, MTV didn't hit for a couple of years. Once it hit in England, what did it do to the business there? Did it have the impact that it had here in America? Handling legal matters is stressful. So let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25 plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718-418-5000 or visit them at frankbrunolaw.com. That's frankbrunolaw.com. Frank Bruno. He's your numero uno. This is Breaking It Down with your host, Frank McKay on 1071 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. Uh, yeah, I think it definitely changed things because, um, uh, it was all about making a video in those days, and um, I think it put the record companies into a slightly awkward position because they had to spend so much money um, <clears throat> on making promotional films. It kind of evened out, I think, ultimately, but um, it certainly it, it, it certainly did change the emphasis on um, how you would promote music. Because again, even when we were starting with the Camera Club, the only way you could promote uh, the music, it seemed, at least from the record company's perspective, was to get in a, a van and tour relentlessly across America, which I did for a couple of years. And um, because that was the way it was done, you literally went from town to town, you either flew or drove, and groups still tour, of course, but to, to, to break a band, that was one of the, one of the perceived best ways to do it. Uh, I think what happened with the videos is suddenly you could reach out to a huge audience from a, a single promotional film which hadn't really existed before so mtv became sort of super influential so it definitely changed things and uh, it's funny talking about pivotal moments and the ed sullivan and um if you like the way television perhaps in in those days was really just beginning you know post elvis to to promote rock and roll music and and video killed the radio stars are kind of an analogy really for that cha constantly changing um environment with within the, the technological field you mentioned napster which of course it, you know, the whole piracy um 
thing hadn't existed on that scale before. And now you have things like YouTube, which is, you know, technically YouTube um, is a kind of form of piracy. I'm sorry, that'll be very con- uh, controversial it to is, say this. Yeah, no doubt. Well, you, great. So you, you know where I'm coming from sure. with that. But equally, you, you know, everybody wants to be on YouTube. So it's a kind of, um, uh, again, you've got that sort of conflicted position where you know that YouTube is playing, is playing so much of my music and I, I see very little income from that. But then equally you think, well, actually, it's good because the music's getting out there and people are discovering uh, some other stuff which they might pay for. So... It's um, a very interesting, unprecedented situation, I think. Yeah, it's the sort of Damocles, um, so to speak, and, you know, (laughs) cuts both ways. Yeah, I mean, people get famous now because of YouTube. uh, Exactly, yeah. You know, some people with very little talent get discovered through YouTube because they have a cat playing piano next to them or or, or something (laughs) along those lines. Yeah, but I mean, it it really does cut both ways. And again, Mm. Bruce Woolley is our very special guest, Frank McKay here with singer-songwriter. Video killed the radio star. Sounds like a song that was written specifically for that moment of MTV, but as you mentioned, it's two years prior to MTV, and it's very prolific. And again, you know, you pointed back to, you know, say the Beatles and Ed Sullivan or post-Elvis and everything else, and, you know, but really it's prolific. Video killed the radio star is really, I mean, it's a theme song for what happened in the MTV era. I mean, how does it come up? How does the line come up? How do you sit and write that song and, and, yeah. and predict the future, basically? Well, it's, it's, again, I'll probably write a short story on this, but, of course, video didn't actually kill the radio star because it actually um, helped promote the radio star. And so it's a little bit tongue-in-cheek in that respect. But uh, I think I and Trevor Horn, who, who, with whom I co-wrote the song, have gone on record to say that we were big J.G. Ballard fans, and we read a lot of J.G. Ballard science fiction stories, one in particular called The Sound Suite, where... Uh, music and I should say sound has become unfashionable not music but sound so hearing music on an audio wavelength has become unfashionable because you can now in the future transmit it at a subliminal level so you actually go into a room switch your hi-fi on you don't hear anything through your ears but you feel the music you can feel it happening so it's being transmitted almost as an emotion and this idea for us was an exciting thought and it's of course it may manifest in the future and will change everything all over again um but we had this concept that um uh, that that some technology would come along and replace another existing technology so as it happens at the time when we were writing i had a melody maker a copy of melody maker which was a music uh news, newspaper journal at the time and there were two two um groups getting a lot of press one was called the video kings and another one called the radio stars and we somehow we conflated those groups names into this song with this crazy concept of music becoming uh inaudible and working on an emotional level and it all just sort of flashed together in a funny kind of moment um i literally saw a light bulb going off above Trevor's head because he uttered those words we'd had the verses and we got to the chorus and the kind of writing a song is a bit like going down and like mining you know you start off digging away and then you discover stuff as you go through it 
So it was like then we'd hit that moment where we got the chorus and we thought, well, can we use that? We might get, we might get sued <laughs> by the, the you know. <laughs> and then we thought, nah, no, it's, it's too tangential. Let, we'll do it. We, we'll, we'll go with it. You know, we'll keep it. It seems so odd at the time that we thought we'll go with it. So that's basically how it happened. Yeah. I mean, did you think, hey, this is something that's lasting? This is something or were you basically, oh, this is a catchy tune. Let's do this. Or did you realize, hey, this is a hit. This is something that's going to have some staying power, some legs. Well, well, Frank, you have to realize, as I said, I used the word penniless before. We were absolutely rock bottom penniless. You know, we literally didn't have enough money for bus fares. And um, it was like... Uh, I'd been writing for almost 10 years prior to that, you know, started at school, started really early writing songs. And we'd had a few attempts at getting records out. We were with, with a, a slightly suspect music publisher that was sending our songs to Europe. And we were getting these, we'd make a demo, they'd send the song back and it would sound terrible. It was a classic case of, look what they've done to my song, Ma, you know. And, um, so at that point we'd never experienced any success so it was hard to envisage that suddenly we'd just written one song that was going to change all that it didn't really occur to us that that might happen we just thought there's something going on here so we just followed it and we went on to make um, different recordings and different demos uh, until we sort of hit upon a sound that we, we thought was very commercial and at that point, of course, I was working with another group, the Camera Club, and Trevor and I kind of parted ways because uh, not it was completely amicable, but I could see that he wanted to pursue that direction, and I was going in a different direction. Um, and I did my own version of the song. I was very headstrong, and I had to do it. I wanted to tour America, all of the rest of it, kind of the, the rock and roll's rather straight-ahead approach, all the new wave. And they went in the studio route and of course the, the buggles had the enormous success that they had um but again back to the song it was back to the mecca days where we'd been playing in dance bands i'd learned a lot of abba songs so if you actually listen to video kill the radio start sounds a lot like an abba song and and so trevor and i were just doing what we'd been doing anyway um and i think it was just the lyric that really did set it apart and then the the phenomenal production that he and Jeff brought to it, although I'd, I'd given them quite a lot of help in the early stages, um, they kind of refined it and finished it completely and, and turned it into, you know, not just an interesting song, but an interesting uh, piece of record production. And I think that's that's what sets it apart, is, is the fact that it, it sounded very unlike anything at the time. It sounded a bit futuristic, if you like. Well, listen, it's a pleasure to be talking to you about this. And really, you've had a, just a wonderful career, and it's storied now, but at the time, it's got to be a scary moment. Bruce Woolley is with me, a singer-songwriter, producer, and musical artist, just tremendous. And we were talking about the one song, you know, quite a bit, a Video Killed the Radio Star, but The Buggles did a lot more than that, and certainly Bruce did a lot more than that. And again, Radio Science orchestra.com is where everyone can go to check it out frank mckay here with bruce going back to that moment where you're penniless you don't have bus fare you guys are broke and again it's yeah it's apropos that you'd point out that you know hey we're not thinking anything is going to happen when we write this song we've been struggling for all these years you mentioned your parents early on your dad at least what were your parents thinking 
at this point? I mean, this is a long point into your career, or at least a good amount of time into your career. Are they saying, what are you doing? Come on, be an accountant, be a lawyer, be, <laughs> be something that can make a living, but get out of this damn you know, music business. Are you getting that, <laughs> that pressure from outside? Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. This is Breaking It Down with your host, Frank McKay, on 1071 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. Yeah, it definitely was, and that's why I left home. In fact, my father, it's funny you should say that, Frank, because uh, he actually said, you know what, you should become an accountant. <laughs> he actually said that. And I don't know if he, looking back, and sadly he's no longer here, but I'd love to say, did you? Was, were you trolling me, Dad? You know, did you say that just so that I would actually go like a boy named Sue or something? You know? yeah. Wow! Because <laughs> I don't know to this day. Um, and I think ultimately, I think obviously, when you, you when you go back to your parents and say, "Hey, look, I'm earning a living," that's when they kind of, "Oh, okay, he's doing all right then." You know, yeah. they kind of it's all forgiven. But yeah, there was a lot of resistance, a lot of resistance, and I didn't really visit home that much. Actually, once I once I'd moved to London, I realised that I, I, looking back, I didn't go back much. You know, I didn't stay. I wasn't. It wasn't closely in touch with my parents. I mean, I did stay in touch, and then later on, perhaps more so. But at that time, it felt like I had to do this. You know, I got to kind of do this and try. I suppose I was trying to prove something. You know. Because you want your parents' approval at the end of the day, don't you? Really, ideally, yeah. uh, it was it was just a funny way of sort of getting it, I guess. Um, whether we admit it come or not, whether we admit it or not, I think everyone. I think that's true of everyone. You know, you want to get your parents' approval. You want that slap on the back saying, "Way to go, son! Yeah. Way to go, daughter!" You know, you don't get that. There's something missing. But, you know, here you're getting the attention of a generation. And again, unfortunately, your parents weren't in America to see what happened and to see mm. that this is going on. How soon did it hit them that, hey, you know, Bruce is involved in something serious here and people are listening to his millions and millions of people are listening to his music, you know, the same the way they were listening to the Beatles or whoever mm. your dad was bringing into the house. How soon did it take before it hit them? Was it simply you just saying, yeah, I'm making a living? Or was it something they read? Was it something they heard? Or did it never get to that point? Well, you know, you got to remember, first of all, by the way, Frank, I'm, I must be very careful here not to believe my own publicity. You know, <laughs> you're being very... <laughs> you know, but it's, it's interesting to hear that angle. But I suppose because England is a... Great Britain, um, UK is very... Um, it's a small set of islands, really, and and we only have really one radio station, two radio stations, really, that play music, Radio 1 and Radio 2. And I think the, the, the affirmation, if you like, would come when my mother, who's 92, um, still occasionally rings me up and says, oh, they played the um, video called The Radio Star on the radio this morning. And... You know, that's about as far as it gets, really. You know, my mum and my aging mother hears, hears the song on the radio, on, on Radio 2 now, 
because they wouldn't play it on Radio 1 necessarily, although they played Nicki Minaj and Will I Am's uh, kind of sampled mashup on Radio 1. So it, it still gets airplay. And I think that's, that's, that's remarkable, um, actually, that, um, that, it, that it even does 40 years, 40 years on. So that, that's, I think that's the, the, the kind of the, the proof in the pudding for them was that, oh, right, his song's being played on the radio. And they knew as well about things like the Performing Rights Society. So if you get played on the radio, ah, oh, you earn a little bit of money. You know, so that's a good thing. It's that basic, I think. At least that's my perception. Yeah, it's interesting to get it from the source itself or himself. Bruce Woolley, once again, Frank McKay here. Go to radiosciencesorchestra.com and check out and buy his music. Don't illegally pirate it like you know, <laughs> the, the Napster folks have trained us all to do. But buy whatever they've got. It's terrific. And you know his work from The Buggles and Grace Jones and so much more. The Camera Club really has put together an incredible career and still going strong. Bruce Woolley, a, really a brilliant musician and singer songwriter producer a little bit of everything frank mckay here with bruce let me go back to that moment again you know here's august 1st 1981 you know mtv blows up and all of a sudden the buggles are known to millions of people what was the first moment that somebody said all right well let's get to america i mean we're building a a name there we're building an audience we could pack places now who was rushing you over there did you have management the label i mean what was going on and what transpired after that to get you over here for the first time? Well, no, the, the, of course, this is a this is a strange thing. And J.G. Ballard, back to the the science fiction writer who claimed to have lived his life backwards, um, there's a bit of that here because we actually went to America before all that happened. So it was like in 1979 uh, that, that we'd had the hit with the song in England and Europe. And then the camera club went out for a couple of years in the States, really sort of laying a lot of groundwork. Um, and if you like, the, the MTV thing followed that. So it was the reverse of what you've just described. Because um, I think really by the time MTV come along, had come along, the, the camera club had, had sort of imploded, if you like. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with the, the film Spinal Tap, yeah. uh, Frank. And uh, and I know a lot of musicians have looked at that film and said, "Yeah, that's you know that's us, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that's our that's our story." And so I'm afraid to say there's a, a big element of, of that, you know, that parody, um, the microcosm of, of the music business and uh, and everything happening. I think I think it was Mike Nesmith again that said that the average lifespan of a pop group is two years. Um, so we had about we had about the average life of a of a pop group, you know, with the Camera Club. And then really, when I, after that, I started to really concentrating concentrate, sorry, on 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 songwriting for other artists, um, and that led me into that. And I think having uh, if you like the calling card of video although I didn't really realize it at the time it probably opened a few doors so it allowed me to make more phone calls than I would normally have made or you know meet other people that sort of thing so um, I was very firmly ensconced within the music business in the early 80s but more as a kind of a technician if you like rather than an artist uh, and I enjoyed it I enjoyed it very much I found I was actually quite good at it um, and it, it, you mentioned Grace Jones, and she probably was the perfect example of, 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 of someone I could say 
you know what, I'll keep out of the way and she can just, she can do, <laughs> she can be the artist because she's so striking and so incredibly resolved as a, as a kind of uh, almost like a living performance art. And, and, and she, for me, it was like just the perfect muse, if you like. So I could devote all my time and energy into the actual material. And, and that worked very well for a long time with Grace, actually. So, um, that's just good. but now I'm getting back to the performing again and I absolutely love it. You know, I love it. So I just had took a little bit of time off. That was all. Um, you know, uh, it's funny how the business works. And I think if you do want to perform, you never lose that desire, but you have to have the right channel and the right um, environment to do it. Mm-hmm. So and I'm finding I'm finding that again, which is extremely gratifying, actually. Uh, yeah, so you know, thanks for asking. Yeah, well, <laughs> well listen, I'm, I'm thrilled to talk to you. I love the J.G. Ballard conversation of living his life backwards in some ways you might be right i mean it's very interesting but you really should look back proudly at what you've done i mean so many people are out there and talented people even that just they don't hit once but you've hit a few times i mean from the camera club to the buggles and all the success you had with grace jones and and of course now radio science orchestra.com is where everyone should go but really, it's been a wonderful career, and it's still going strong. I hope I can get you back for a part two. I mean, it's been fascinating talking to you. And again, congratulations, first of all, for everything that's gone on, and thanks for being here. But in closing, we've got about a minute left. What can you leave us with? Is there anything else you want to point us to other than RadioScienceOrchestra.com? Is there something you want to point out that's coming up, or is there a last point you want to make? Well, I, I would like to say that one of the things that got me back into performing, and by the way, Frank, thanks for all of that as well. I really appreciate your, your yeah. words. Um, but one of one of the things that, that got me back into live music again is the theremin itself. And if we could, if we do get to do a part two, I, I will have a, an awful lot to tell you about the theremin if you're interested. I, yeah, which I is, am. As pe- people may or may not know, is the first successful electronic musical instrument which was invented a hundred years ago this year which is remarkable in itself in russia wow and and it's still the only instrument that you play without actually touching it um or you're not to be confused with sound beams or sensors or light beams but this is an instrument that interacts with the human body and that you can make music just by moving your hands in the air and that's something that continues to fascinate me, and it's it's a growing uh, phenomena, you know. So it, that's something we could definitely talk about again. If you amazing, if you have the time, I, yeah, Frank. I yeah. absolutely would love it. And let me just say, you know, there's an expression: uh, it's been a wonderful life, it's been a wonderful career, and it's still going strong for Bruce Woolley. And really, he has put together a multifaceted career: a producer, singer, songwriter, musician. The Buggles video killed the radio star, but uh, his work with Grace Jones. And he put it so apropos. She's a living, breathing work of art, you know, a visual art, and she really is. And he's a big reason behind the success there also. And Radio Science Orchestra is so underrated. The Radio Science Orchestra. But go to RadioScienceOrchestra.com. And again, Bruce, thank you very much. Well, thank you, Frank. It's been an absolute pleasure, and I really hope we can stay in touch. Absolutely. Bruce Woolley, everyone. We just passed an important anniversary, August 1st, 
1981 it was when MTV appeared. The first song ever there was Video Killed the Radio Star. The co-writer of that, it was Bruce Woolley. And again, we properly recognize his partners and Trevor Horn and the others there. But the Buggles got it all started. Frank McKay signing off. Bruce Woolley has been our very special guest. We'll see you all next time on Breaking It Down. This is Breaking It Down with your host, Frank McKay, on 1071 WLIRFM Hampton Bays.